0: voice is one of those voices that just goes right to your soul. It's arguably the most
1: beautiful voice that anybody will ever hear. And that voice, you know, that voice. Perfection is just
0: about impossible, but that's always in my mind, you know. There was a very loving, happy part to her, and then there was a kind of a, a darkness there.
1: no way to be able to handle that kind of success. There was something about her that she didn't like about herself. I had no idea that I could do a blasted thing. She definitely battled her self-image. She never had a successful romantic relationship. Love
0: is something that I think everybody in this world has to have, and without it, you're not worth anything.
1: She was a very sensitive human being, and she
0: was incredibly injured. No one really Knew a lot about anorexia back then. It wasn't something that was really talked about. When I got sick, it scared the hell out of me. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, down to the old 89 pounds there.
1: My god, Karen, what did you do to yourself? You
0: don't really know when you step over that line. How were you born with that kind of talent, that extraordinary
1: genius talent, and then sabotage yourself? Maybe she never wanted fame. Perfection is a battle you'll never win. You can have fame and the most beautiful voice in the world and still feel a hell inside. I don't think Karen Carpenter's true story has really been told.
0: You can't stop. The only
1: way you can stop is die. We've only just begun to live.
0: What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani. We have right here on the line a very special guest. He is a writer, producer, critically acclaimed author, educator, and he is one of the filmmakers behind Karen Carpenter, Starving for Perfection, the new documentary coming out on the late, great Karen Carpenter. We're talking to the incredibly talented producer and writer Randy Schmidt. Randy, thank you so much for the time. How's everything
1: going? Really good. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited about this week and launching this film. This is a a very interesting film. Of course, Karen Carpenter, one of the Carpenters' legendary
0: career left us way too soon, an extremely cautionary tale. You know, as as our publicist told us, I mean, you're like the Karen Carpenter whisperer. I mean, you have so much information on her. You've covered her before, done done, done a book as well. But why was this the right time to put out this documentary?
1: I was approached almost four years ago now by um, the head of production or the head of the company actually at AMS pictures in Dallas. And since I'm located in Denton, he had just up the road from Dallas. He had heard that the Karen Carpenter guru or whisperer, <laughs> whichever one you want to call it um, was just up the road. And they do a lot of programming for uh, mostly for television, for um, HGTV and um, reels and um different uh lots of different networks and they've done a few standalone documentaries over the years um and he just said hey how do you think we can work together and and find a new way into karen's story or or bring it you know to a new generation of of viewers and fans hopefully too so it's been um about three years of work of course covid happened in the middle of that and kind of shut things down for a while but um it's been a, a really exciting time to get to interview people, um, kind of an extension of my book. My book, Little Girl Blue, The Life of Karen Carpenter, came out, um, well, almost 13 years ago. And what we've really done with this documentary, it's not really based upon the book, but it's sort of um, like we we took certain themes from the book and expanded, on, uh, expanded upon them. And we have... Um, a nice group of people who both knew and worked with Karen in person and then some others who were just inspired by her music and um, it really comes together I think as a nice um, a nice look at both her her music and the, the the legendary voice and musical legacy as well as you know the troubles that she faced and unfortunately what took her from us
0: as an educator, somebody who works with kids, do you feel like this is kind of eerily relevant given the social media age we're in with TikTok and everything else? I mean, while the beauty standards have kind of become more open-minded over the years, I mean, it's still kind of a self-conscious world we're living in here.
1: We've seen in this this past week, I mean, the reaction to, to Madonna and um, you know, at the Grammys and people's focus on on looks and on size and all, all of this really hasn't changed all that much over the years. I mean, I think we're maybe more accepting to, you know, people like Lizzo and stuff have come in and made it, you know, cool to be thick. And I, I do wish that Karen had lived during a time like that because she was being bombarded from every side with, this is how you're supposed to look. This is how, how much you're supposed to weigh. And this is how you walk like a lady and talk like a lady. And she just wasn't, she didn't fit into those Um, those expectations that were there for her. And I think that was a lot of what made her, you know, feel like a misfit a lot of times.
0: For sure. So it's definitely an unfortunate uh, cautionary tale. Now, when you are working on this, of course, you you worked on the book and you're such a Karen Carpenter expert. Without giving too much away from the documentary, was there anything that you learned about her and just the Carpenters in in general during the making of this doc that you didn't know previously?
1: I don't know that I learned anything completely new, but just solidified more... um, more thoughts or feelings about it. Um, we really focused a lot, I mean, in the fact that Perfection is in the title. Um, the goal for Perfection from Karen, both in her music, which seems natural. I mean, they they made these perfect overdubbed um, choral sounding recordings that were just unlike anything that had ever been heard before. And so there was an attention to detail to the point of obsession, I think, from both her and Richard. But with Karen, it carried over into her personal life as well. And there was um definitely as as Olivia Newton-John told me, there was obsessive compulsive disorder as well. She would she was never diagnosed with it, of course, but that's what Olivia felt, knowing her on a day-to-day basis, visiting her her condo that she lived in and and seeing that the the hangers in the closet were exactly, you know, a quarter or a half inch apart from the next one and everything was color coded Mm -hmm. and, and labeled. And, and she was just very, very particular. And I I think there was a lot in Karen's life that she wasn't able to control because whether it be the record label or um, family or whatever, everybody else was kind of calling the shots for her. And this seems to be one way that she found that she could take control of something for herself. And unfortunately, it was something that turned out to be self-destructive.
0: I cover a lot of sports and you know, always hear about, you know, sports teams now employing like a sports psychologist, especially for road games and and things of that nature. And I know in music we don't really think about that, but a lot of times now in the digital age, most artists are are making their real money. Um, on touring, do you think the onus should be on some of these record companies or media conglomerates to have some type of, I don't know, counselor or nutritionist or, or just some kind of, you know, therapist like on the road, you know, with, with, with these uh, celebrities, with these artists, like when they're traveling and then just, you know, in general for a check-in?
1: I haven't considered that before, but wow, it absolutely would make sense. And I think especially maybe even more now than in, in Karen's time, because, you know, with with um, back in the 70s, when they would do a concert review or something, you might have to wait days or weeks to read about it or to see how you did or whatever. Now everything is so instantaneous. I can't even imagine the added pressure if Karen had had those same insecurities and been surrounded with paparazzi and with you know all of the things that add to um, the stresses of that. So that's an absolutely great idea, and I think that. Um, most people probably don't think about it until it's too late but it should be something that's more pre- preventative for sure
0: yeah definitely We'll definitely like to see people be more you know proactive than than reactive um as you said you you mentioned Olivia Newton-John the late great Olivia Newton-John you've you've got some heavy hitters uh, appearing in this documentary mm-hmm. who was the hardest person to kind of lock down and and
1: track down for you well let's see i had interviewed olivia first back in 2009 for my book and um I didn't know for sure if I was going to to get her for this. And it, it kind of came in, it was actually a remote interview during COVID. And she was doing quite a few at that time from her home. And it, it worked out really well that the timing ended up being right because I had asked several times and it hadn't it hadn't worked out. Um, and we got Suzanne Summers and um, Belinda Carlisle, um, Kristen Chenoweth, um, Carney Wilson. I don't know that anybody that we got was necessarily all that difficult. Um, Carol Burnett, as you can imagine, is, I mean, with that legendary status that is Carol, Carol Burnett. Um, she, uh, we, we kind of lucked out in that way because the production company, AMS, that that produced this was also producing a um, an I Love Lucy documentary for Reels at the time. And so they were able to book an interview with, with um, Carol Burnett on the subject of Lucille Ball. And then they were able to sort of tack on to the end of that a little mini interview about Karen. Um because you know Carol knew knew Karen and they were guests on her show and that kind of thing, but it wasn't enough for her to devote an entire, you know, let's sit down for an hour and talk about the Carpenters kind of thing. But um man, she loved Karen's voice and she you know she gets pretty emotional at times talking about um, what happened to her, and what a shame that it was, and that Karen could still be here with us today if 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 this hadn't have happened. So, um, she was probably, I think, the biggest get in that way. And it was a little bit thanks to Lucy. <laughs> are you still in touch with with any of
0: uh, Karen's uh, relatives or distant relatives or, or anybody?
1: Not so much relatives. I mean, really, their family was was rather limited. And so it really is just Richard and his family now that are living. And, uh, we purposely didn't reach out to richard for this that was the goal to make an unauthorized documentary and as the documentary itself discusses the the control issues from the family in the past and um the whitewashing of the story at times to um to kind of get their um their version of it across and we just we weren't looking for editorial control or anything like that so we didn't approach richard um, luckily, though, through this whole process, I've stayed friends with several of Karen's um, friends. Some of her childhood friends have um, hosted my husband and I at their um, at their cottage in Connecticut, not far from where they grew up with with Karen. And um, and then her her best friend, a woman by the name of Frenda, just um, passed away recently. But up until her death, we remained in touch off and on. From the time i interviewed her um back in 2009 so it's been neat to get close to people who were that close to her and um to hear from them that she would appreciate the love and and care um because it's, it's a lot of times it's difficult subjects and i i do my best to um approach them with the utmost respect and and dignity and and want her i mean I, i'm a fan but i'm also um, a researcher. And I, 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 I don't want to have so much of that fan hat on that. I don't tell the true, the true and full story. And that was a a point that I got to with right before little girl blue, the book, um, was, was being finished up. I I realized I can't write this as a fan hoping to please Richard Carpenter or something and get his, his blessing on this. I got to tell the real story. And, um, a lot of these friends came out of the woodwork and really helped me to do that.
0: And, and I love that about the documentary and just your work in general. Like, yeah, you mean, it wasn't like exploitative or anything. You had, you handled it with, with delicacy, but you did tell the real story. Like, Hey, this is really what happened. This is what she was really dealing with. These are the real pressures. And you know, this, uh, this is a story that while it's unfortunate that happened, you know, it an important one to tell because you know, it can, who knows, it's going help somebody else. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm glad that came across because that's definitely the, the intention and, um, and everything behind this has been with the utmost care for the subject matter.
0: We really do appreciate your time, Randy. And it's it's been a pleasure talking about this documentary. It was a pleasure checking it out. I hope everybody does. Before we let you go, where can we find you online? And where can we find this documentary
1: playing next? The documentary has a site that'll be, um, I'm not sure if it's live yet or not, but it's D-O-C, dot com, And um I can be found on Instagram or Facebook, um, both personal page and an author page. And um, what was the last question? Did you ask about where they can find? Where do you find a documentary next? A documentary. Um, at this point, it's going to be hitting several different film festivals. We open this weekend with the world premiere in uh, at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. It'll be going to Sedona after that and then several others in the near future. So... Until this gets um, a distribution deal, it'll probably be um, kind of crisscrossing the country here and there at random festivals and hoping it gets some good attention. Hey, and I appreciate you helping with that.
0: Hey, happy to. And hey, I'm a, a great documentary. I'm I'm sure it'll it'll get distribution at some point. And and bonus question for everybody watching this or listening to this: if they're not convinced by now, why
1: should people watch Karen Carpenter starving for perfection? I think this is such a Balanced look at both her life and music. You know, a lot of times we just get one or the other. We either get an all music documentary and don't learn that much about Karen as a person, or we get something that is so far in the other direction that it's sensationalized and exploitive in the way, you know, in in terms of um, her eating disorder and that sort of thing. So I think and I hope that it it shines through in the documentary that this is a balanced look at who Karen was as an artist and as a person and both the triumphs and the tragedies. And um, I think that's probably it. So I hope people take away from this.